The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Zendo. For more information, visit villagezendo.org. So, my name is Joan, and uh, I am coming in from New Paltz, New York, signing in with a small affiliate group of the Village Zendo, the New Paltz Zen Center here. So there's a handful of us sitting here, which is lovely. And uh, it's great to join you all uh, in the Cyber Zendo and to see everyone in the mothership as well uh, sitting there. So uh, a bow of great gratitude to everyone who makes this happen, to GSA and all our online hosts and physical hosts at the Zendo. Uh, and for all of you to come and make it uh, into the container that we practice in when we come together in this way. So uh, I'm really glad we have this opportunity to do this. Uh, I was struck today uh, by coming to the physical Zendo. I leave my house and I walk up a, a driveway that's a fair length to this small little uh, cabin. Some of you have been here uh, tucked back up the driveway. Uh, and the drive after the past few years has really gotten chewed up uh, with plowing that maybe wasn't so skillful <laughs> and uh, copious amounts of rainfall. And so there were a lot of potholes. And uh, I'm very excited to say that the path, my path today, was a bit smoother as we had a big truckload of gravel arrive yesterday and get spread out into some of the big potholes. So hopefully... For those of you who came, uh, your car's uh, suspension thanks you, uh, or uh, thanks the, the people who've done the driveway. But, uh, you know, sometimes our path has bumps, and sometimes our path is smooth, but we still just stay on the path, you know, step after step. So today, here in New Paltz, and maybe where you are as well, it's fairly gray, and overcast, and um, there's some rain that started already, uh, but it's still a, a fall morning. You can feel the fall uh, in the air, and often uh, I share in the fall about the changing leaves that they're not actually really changing. The colors that uh, are there, the reds and the yellows and browns have been there all along, uh, and it's just the busyness of the chlorophyll that has hidden those colors from us. So. You know, the, the colors of nature always remind me of, uh, or of fall, always remind me of our true nature. It's always there, uh, just maybe under the surface, maybe hidden by our busyness of clinging and, and pushing away and the things that our mind, you know, so naturally does. Uh, and so while the, the sky is overcast, I, I still feel sort of... Uh, protected and embraced by the low lowness of the sky. It's, uh, it's like a blanket. So I find it kind of welcoming today. Being tasked with offering a Dharma talk or Dharma words uh, is always fairly daunting. I don't think uh, there's any of us that, that do this that feel like, oh yeah, I got this. It's, it's easy. Uh, and, you know, particularly because at least in the Zen school, there's nothing I have to offer you that you don't already have, where your sits bones meet your cushion, where they meet your chair, you know, you have it. Like those colors and those leaves, there's nothing 
I can give you that you don't already fully, fully, fully possess. And yet I'm tasked with uh, sharing something, you know, some uh, sparking some sort of fire or uh, helping to put out some sort of fire in you. Uh, my words are, are supposed to, to do that somehow. Uh, and it's extra difficult in times that we're in like now in this past week when we've been witnessing so much uh, tumult and so much uh, tragedy and unthinkable atrocities. Uh, it, it just adds to what can I possibly, what can I possibly offer uh, you in a, a time like this? So uh, I am a registered nurse, as probably most of you know, maybe some of you don't, uh, and uh, probably not a lot of you know that I've decided to go back to school and I'm working on a master's degree in holistic nursing. I've kind of kept it tucked under my quesa for fear of deciding to, to back out. And I might still, who knows? <laughs> uh, it's a lot of work uh, to, to pull off six master's level you know, credits and uh, take care of the abbot of the Zendo, my aging dog, and have a relationship with my partner and uh, go to work full time. It's, it's a lot. Uh, and it feels like a good fit right now, you know, that uh, holistic nursing uh, and my history as a massage therapist and and my Buddhist practice all seem to be kind of a good fit and coming together in uh, a good way. And it's really refreshing to write and offer something that I don't have to necessarily cite or write in APA format. That, that was a, a blessing, even though it was an added thing. It was really nice not to have to uh, write in the third person and uh, make it sound scholarly. So uh, I, I hope that uh, what I offer you today uh, is that. So while I'm recognizing that I'm, I'm very busy uh, and that my life looks a lot like read, write, work, sleep, read, write, work, sleep, um, I could be busy in a very different way. I could be busy burying a loved one. I could be busy cowering in a bomb shelter. I could be busy deciding to gather my belongings and walk south to maybe or maybe not find a place of safety or maybe feel that walking south was more dangerous because I'm being told to stay where I am is safer. Um, I, I could be busy in that way. So the busyness of having a career and seeking a graduate degree and writing papers is, uh, is truly a luxury to be busy in that way when uh, we all know we can have been probably in our own lives and um, could certainly be busy in a very different way. Uh, so holistic nursing, not surprisingly, is focused on holism. And you know, it's not just uh, lavender and crystals and uh, acupressure and uh, guided meditation. It, it's, it's those things too, but it's really, um, deeply rooted in theories of holism, of recognizing uh, all the energies that are present, the patient, yourself, the environment the patient's in, all of those things come into play uh, in holistic nursing. Uh, and so I might look at it from the Zen perspective or from our lineage as you know, using all the ingredients or nothing left out, room for everything phrases we've 
Hurdenki Oroshi and her teachers and all the village zendo teachers share with us. So a, a lot of the program focuses on theory, nursing theory. And in my undergraduate work that had a little grad work added to it, we had a, we had a lot of theory and most of us uh, sort of balked at it. You know, uh, theory doesn't put in an IV, theory doesn't do chest compressions, theory doesn't clean you know, wounds or wipe butts, it doesn't. Uh, and I've always sort of looked at the uh, theorists sitting around tables, you know, congratulating each other on their deep understanding uh, without actually being bedside, you know. So theory isn't there, I would say, when the rubber hits the road. It's, uh, it's not. I'm changing my view on it a bit now that I've drank the Kool-Aid and I'm part of this grad program and I'm forced to. And I see that theory guides nursing practice and nursing practice, you know, feeds theory and it has its place. Um, you know, and it also makes me think a bit about Buddhist scholarship, you know, uh, and please know I, I've got shelves and shelves of Buddhist books and we all know that books on Zen, you know, and, and literature on Zen far exceed all other forms of Buddhist literature. There's just tons and tons of it. And I'm thankful for the scholars that uh, do the deep research and do the archeological digging up of, you know, where texts came from and uh, translating and, and all of that, the philosophy and understanding of our practice is extremely important, but it's not why we sit. Uh, it's not to, to understand. We don't sit to figure out. We don't sit to uh, find some singular answer. Uh, and maybe you are. And if you are, you know, uh, I guess I would say good luck with that. <laughs> um, you know, there's so much more to our zazen, to our practice. So there is a, a famous uh, nursing theorist, Martha Rogers, um, who I'm sure not a single person here has heard of. And, and uh, may it stay that way. <laughs> and yet uh, she's huge in our, our, you know, she's big in Japan. She's huge in our nursing uh, academia. And she was an early theorist who, uh, and shared a birthday with Florence Nightingale. So uh, this was certainly in her blood or, or maybe in her stars. Uh, but she was the first to really recognize that health of an individual is beyond the periphery of their skin sack. And, you know, as I said earlier, she looked at these, you know, multitudinous energy fields that were intersecting uh, and that were, you know, factors of health. And, and in a course I'm taking in psychoneuroimmunology, we're really looking at um, what happens when there's connection, you know, what neurotransmitters, what hormones are released, and when there's connection and trust, we're flooded with oxytocin. We feel good, we trust, we feel connected. And when we feel othered and separate and you know, not a part of, uh, all the opposites come into being and you know, cortisol cortisol's, uh, levels rise, uh, C-reactive protein levels rise. Uh, and we can carry those traumas you know, from these hormones in our body. So our very body uh, you know, is affected. Uh, and those of those bodies around us by that, you know, experience in, in small self. So 
Uh, her theories have influenced many other theories in nursing. Uh, they've been a basis for a lot and have been influenced by theories outside of nursing. And actually just recently, I wrote a paper because I do that every week, uh, at least a couple, uh, on uh, nursing theorist Dunn, uh, who used has a theory called uh, compassion energy theory. And it's really Avalokiteshvara. You know, as I read it, I was like, oh, she's just talking about the Bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara, uh, but using nursing terminology. And um, I, I tied it into a very famous complexity theorist you might have heard of, Dr. Neil Soten Thies. So for once, I got to cite something in a paper uh, that was really, I was excited about. <laughs> I got to put Thies, comma, 2023, you know, at the end of my paper and, and put it a handful of times throughout the paper. Um, and, and I daren't speak on complexity uh, as we have a resident, you know, pro in our midst. But uh, when you look at complexity theory in, in a really titrated down way, what it's looking at is systems, you know, from the very, very small um, subatomic to, you know, organizations and governments and how they self-organize, you know, uh, and, and find patterns within themselves, you know, so atoms, tissues, organs, uh, societies, so on. And how we see it really depends on where we stand. So are we at the microscope, you know, zooming in really, really closely, or are we, you know, at the telescopic lens looking back uh, a bit from it, you know, but either way, I feel we have this strong, I, I don't feel we do, we have this strong desire that's built in to know, to understand, to settle in a place. Uh, and in these recent weeks, I have heard lots and lots of opinions and lots of ideas, uh, and lots of strong stances on this is right, this is wrong, you know, um, not just in what's happening uh, in Israel and Gaza now, but you know, on a lot of a lot of things. Uh, we have it in healthcare a lot, hence why we have theories to address it. You know, ideas that are this is the way it should be, this is how patient care should happen, this is what needs to happen. Uh, but particularly this past week. Uh, I've heard and we've seen all of us really strong opinions. Uh, you know, and when we're sitting around a table talking about theories and opinions, it's fairly innocuous. You know, we can uh, give up our ideas, maybe, you know, a little more comfortably, be open to someone else's perhaps. But uh, when we're witnessing atrocities, when family members' lives are at risk, when uh, we've, you know, feel like we've got skin in the game, I think it's a bit different. So, you know, as I said earlier, nursing theory doesn't put in IVs, you know, and it doesn't do chest compressions. And uh, Buddhist philosophy doesn't sit on a cushion and it doesn't experience things as they are, moment after moment, it's a philosophy. So the 14th case of the Muman Khan, once the monks of the Eastern Hall and the Western Hall were arguing about a cat, Nansen holding up the cat said, monks, if you can say a word of Zen, I will spare the cat. If you cannot, I will kill it. No monk could answer. Nansen finally killed the cat. 
in the evening, when Joshua came back, Nansen told him about the incident. And Joshua took off his sandal, put it on his head, and walked off. Nansen said, if you'd been there, I could have saved the cat. You know, we've the the koans in the Muman Khan, so many of them uh I think are are uh point to to some of our ethical teachings in Buddhism. You know, you could link them to our precepts. And yet here we have Nansan killing, killing the cat. Uh so it's shocking. I think for the first time you hear it or you read it, it's a bit shocking. And so perhaps now that I've shared this koan, you're uh, wanting to understand it. A huge desire to settle on what it means, you know, has risen in you. Um, I know it happens for me. You know, I, I want to understand it. I want to fall on a side. Uh, and Shibayama, who uh, the translation that we use mostly in the village Zendo is Shibayama Roshi's translation. And his commentary on this, he cautions us uh, to not uh, see this koan as ignoring ethical teachings. And in fact, um, he's saying that, you know, it's it's really a deep ethical teaching. Uh, so it, it frees us, his argument is that it frees us from the suffering and being caught in ethics to, to really understand and to master them and to use them freely. So I see him asking us to step away from the academic table, you know, uh, and to recognize the holism, to recognize no separation, uh, and, you know, to recognize in no separation that we are separate, and in our separation to see the other fully. So at the, uh, actually, I want to share something else. I, I was you know, looking at scrolling around, uh, looking at this Cohen and commentaries and people's writings on it as I was preparing for the talk. And I came across uh, Hogan Roshi uh, uh, from Great Vow Monastery had uh, spoken on this. And he brought up the story of King Solomon in the Bible. And I was just sort of struck, you know, here's an Abrahamic, you know, story shared by many different faiths of two women who are arguing over a baby, you know, whose baby it is, you know, both saying this baby is my baby. This is, it belongs to me. Uh, I gave birth to this child. It's my child. And King Solomon said, okay, I'll solve the problem. I'll cut the baby in half and give each of you a half of the baby. And uh, one woman said, no, 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 don't do that. The other woman can have the baby. And Solomon knew that that was her child. So in, you know, in relinquishing our desire to land on one side, to have one thing, um, maybe we put the sandal on our head. Maybe we can, you know, see the wholeness of the, the whole situation. Doesn't mean it changes per se, but we can see the whole situation. So at the end of these koans uh, in the Muman Khan and the commentary, they're, you know, often uh, great masters who say a bit about them as short things. So Master Seko said, a sword straight, uh, a sword straight away cuts it in two. And then Dogen, in a different light, 
said a sword straight away cuts it no cut the room for both of those to be true you know it, it's not a cat at all is it it's not really a cat um you know i i uh, we don't have to call the ASPCA. I have three cats, you know, that I love dearly, three hairless sphinx. And so I, I hear this story and and I uh, I worry, you know, uh, as a cat lover, but it's not a cat that's being held up. So so what's being held up for you today? What What's in front of you, you know? Say a word of Zen. What's, what's held up in front of you, you know? Is it a, a theory? Is it a uh, religious ideology? Is it a strip of land along a sea? You know, what is it that's held up in front of you? So Zazen offers us an opportunity to uh, to step back, to, to do a timeout, if you will, uh, and maybe become a little more telescopic and a little less microscopic in our vision. Uh, and, you know, I, I teach uh, uh, mindfulness, M-I-E-A, -E uh, Mia, they call it. It used to be called Quoru, I think I shared with some of you. And it's a Mindfulness Institute for Emerging Adults. And I teach this at Marist where I'm a nurse. And uh, I teach it to college students. And, and you know, it's, it's not Zen, <laughs> um, but it offers these uh, emerging adults really good medicine and one of the images they use that i always sort of think to myself that's a little bit dumbed down but maybe it's not is that we have two types of mind we have thinking mind and we have observing mind and uh you know when we're caught up in our thinking mind you know that cat's definitely going to get killed you know but uh when we're able to observe and really fully see you know without our tendency to uh, get caught by our opinions, our likes, our dislikes, our aversions, our desires, and just fully be present, you know, maybe we can save the cat. So as Zen students, we're, we're asked to bear witness uh, to everything, to be like Avalokiteshvara and to hear the cries of the world. Um, but, you know, I'm also a, a holistic nurse now, so please, be careful with secondary trauma. You know, I just want to say outside of this Dharma talk, watch yourself. You know, the media really wants to help you with that and wants to feed it to you. Pay attention. Pay attention. Know. See. But also, um, you know, be careful not to, to uh, overdo it, maybe. You know, to take, take breaks, to sit zazen, to uh, walk outside uh, and come back when you can. You know, because your limbic system <laughs> and your cortisol and your C-reactive protein will thank you, you know, find moments to create oxytocin, to be connected, to uh, be with friends, to, uh, to settle, you know, like we are today. Uh, so can you take your shoes off and put them on your head? You know, and the, there's commentary that says in China, that was a, a, a sign of mourning to put your, your shoes on your head, you know? And I, I think of when we had uh, our Japanese dignitary here who was showing us to bow and saying, put your head further into the mat, further, lower in, you know? So can you really dive in, you know, and fully be there? How would that look? 
And uh, how do you respond to the cat that's in front of you today or the cat that will arise tomorrow in front of you? Um, perhaps, as I said, it looks just like being with a friend and listening to them, hearing them, uh, being with them fully. Or maybe, it, maybe it's making a donation to an organization that you feel strongly about or feel is doing good for others, um, whatever that organization may be. Uh, or maybe you just don't know, you know, and that's okay too, you know, because in Zen, not knowing is most intimate. So if you don't know, just don't know. Just don't know. So we're in this difficult time, uh, you know, and in some ways we always are, you know, if we pay attention, we can see the difficulties of the world we live in. Uh, and maybe the desire to, to pick a side and to argue and to be right is strong for you. Um, but I encourage you to just pay attention and to lean into your practice in times like this for that support and for that solace. And as a cat lover, I, I beg you, if you can, say a word of Zen and save a cat, do it, do it. I'm gonna leave you with a poem. I, I did some searching, I was looking for Palestinian poets and Israeli poets. And uh, by accident, I came across an American poet and peace activist uh, who is Jewish, Rick Lupert. Uh, and he lives in Los Angeles. And this poem is actually a series of smaller poems that I believe are supposed to be read, strung together. If I'm doing it wrong, Rick Lupert, I'm sorry, but that's the way I'm gonna read this poem, uh, a series of small poems uh, put together. And he titled the whole thing, Feeding Holy Cats, a few poems from Israel. Waiting for a taxi in Jerusalem, you can see your entire life drive before your eyes. Medical advice from religious lady, they should play harps instead of using Prozac, says the woman at the biblical harp store. I suppose at the Prozac store, they don't speak too highly of biblical harps either. At the Kotel, bushes emerge from the Western Wall. One wonders if Herod was a gardener. I daven at the men's side. Egalitarianism hasn't reached the old city. Paper yamaka on my head, right hand touching Roman stone. I say all the words I can remember. A boy becomes bar mitzvahed behind me. We finish at the same time. Back away. The wall gets bigger. The sun melts winter away, lights up the wall. Once again, Jerusalem of gold. Feeding holy cats, I fed half the cats in the Negev desert today. I'll get the rest tomorrow.